0: May May 24th, 2017, tonight's message is the church, the disputed and undefeated champion. Turn in your Bibles with me to Ephesians 3. We're going to pick up on the fourth verse. How are you all doing tonight? Good. Worship was something else, wasn't it? Feeling the Spirit of God breathe on you. I feel this favor amongst us. Pick up in Ephesians 3. We're going to start reading the fourth verse. In reading this then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. Which was not made known to men in other generations, as it, has been made, as it has now been revealed by the spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. The mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise in Christ. Who's been in Acts class in this room? Acts one. Who's been in Acts 2? We've been talking an awful lot about God's plan for Israel. You know, he speaks thousands of years in advance and says what he's going to do. And his plan succeeds again and again and again. And the mystery that was revealed is that we are grafted in with Israel. We're joined into that plan that was spoken of from the beginning, that Satan's head would be crushed, that that ancient serpent would fall. Let's go to the next verse. I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of His power. Although I am less than the least of all God's people, the grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, thankful for that, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, The manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. In my Bible, there's a chapter header that comes right here. And for so long, I read these as two separate sections. Somehow I forgot that the Apostle Paul, when he was speaking, talking about the mystery that was revealed was him speaking about the church that is Israel with us grafted into it. We say that the illusion of the first time is an important thing. That knowing what the reader had intended while you're reading a letter to the Ephesians is important. Let me ask you, who's the church, saints? Who is the church? We We are. We are the church. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. I want to talk to you a little bit about what the church has been known for. We just mentioned the title, that the, it is the disputed and yet undefeated champion. The church is powerful. It is princely. It's loved by God and profaned by men on all sides. The church its underestimated throughout history, from the very beginning. Yet the church is the fulcrum on which history unfolds. The church has been the crucial element that has turned the tide of the salvation of humanity. That church that is Israel that we are grafted into has been the one thing standing between the powers of hell and men's salvation. Again and again and again, it has been the hope of all of the world. Amen. And yet now, today, this mystery has been revealed to us that we stand with Israel as the light to the entire world. will talk to you a little bit about the church's early beginnings. It has survived the prejudice of the early Jewish leadership, the rejection that we saw in Christ with the apostles. The persecution of the Roman Empire, the powerless doctrine of Greek fathers, the politics of the papacy, the propaganda of doctrine from the denominations, the prosperity of Charismania. And I will tell you this morning, it will survive, that pedophile prophet and his followers of pawns. The church of Jesus Christ has always been under attack. It has always been rejected. It has always been hard-pressed, crushed. It's always had doctrines that are powerless and emasculated. It has always been surrounded by a gospel that is not the truth. And yet, again and again and again, it has not only survived, but been the champion of history. i tell you that the church of the living God has always looked as if it was about to be stomped out. As if the world itself had just about choked the life out of it, and it couldn't go any further. And yet, here we are. I tell you when you've had a tough week that sometimes just smiling and say, I'm still here, is worth something. Yeah. I'm still here. Sometimes just to stay in the ring and outlast your enemy, yeah. that is victory. Yeah, because at the end of the day, when that last ring is done, either you're standing in Christ or you're not, and we know Christ is a victorious God. He was not defeated. He triumphed at the cross. Yeah. What we want today is for us, the church, to be triumphant, to be undefeated. Do not let any of the things that are trying to crush and oppress your life overwhelm you. But remember what you were made for, what the church was destined to do. Because right now our lives, in each of the details that feel hopeless or meaningless to you, is speaking a message to the heavenly world. It's saying that Spencer will not yield, that his family is going to stand, and that they will not be overwhelmed by sickness or surgeries. It's saying that what we have claimed in the name of Jesus that sons will come from the Adarmus family, they've been added. Amen. A message has been spoken. The Brassos are about to go out. And there is a message that is being spoken to the heavenly worlds right now. I'll tell you, Satan wants to oppose it. He does not want them to succeed. He will make it look as if their cause is hopeless. But we know what God has already put inside of them, that that same spirit that was in the early apostles lives inside of the church of Jesus Christ today. Say, the power of God lives in me. The power of God lives in me. 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 Sometimes we get in the habit of reading men of old and thinking that was what their lives are like. And tell you their lives were made up of months like this, dealing with death, famine, sickness, and yet watching something all surpassing inside of them win the victory over and over. The church of Jesus Christ has become the champion through trial. Let's pick up. Turn to Deuteronomy 20 in your Bibles. Let's put Psalm 138, 8 on the screen. This is one of those life-saving verses. It's one of my favorites. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. Your love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not abandon the work of your hands. God's plan on earth for the church will succeed. It will be fulfilled. When he says all Israel will be saved, it means all Israel will be saved. When he says that they will return, they will return. And when he says the church that has been made known to be united with Israel, that his purpose for us will succeed. What purpose has God placed in your heart? What has he destined your life for? The constant reminder What the Word of God says, that it will succeed in me, is something that our body's got to learn to do. It is happening amongst us. That solemn reminder that says, I know how everything is looking around me right now, that I'm in the middle of turmoil, but I know that the Lord's purpose for me and His love, it endures forever. He will not abandon the work of His hands. Stay with me, church. We are the work of His hands.
1: We are the work of His hands.
0: We are. We spoke Sunday about relying upon the Lord's love when you don't know where else to go, when you don't know where else to look, when we remind ourselves that His love for us endures, that the difficulty of the moment does not change His plan, that what you see around you does not stop what He is destined from the beginning to happen. The victory is already won. Who loves our Monday night Bible studies? The victory is already won. He's already said what is going to happen. I've been reading Shaft's History of the Church. How can you not like a book where the man's name is Shaft? Can you dig it? <laughs> Come on, Curtis. And he says, speaking about the very nature of the church through history, that the church, militant in very nature, that it must overcome. And he goes on and he speaks about the life of the early apostles. He's got amazing writings. You should look at some of the stuff with the Luther and the Pope sometime. Stir your soul. You in Deuteronomy 20? When you go to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours, do not be afraid of them because the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt will be with you. Pastor Wade spoke on this one night. I loved it. In the law, God says, when you go to war. Come on, church, tell me. When you go to war. When you go to war. When you go to war. war. Not if, not when, not as if it's some possible event. God said in advance, when you go to war, and not just war on an equal playing field, but with an army greater than yours. See, I think Shaft was right when he said, the church in its very nature is militant, and it has been from the beginning. God spoke in the beginning of his word. We know what the law stands for. It is a standard. It is an immovable fixture. It's supposed to incline your heart. If we can get down deep in our hearts tonight, that God already said when you go to war and that it will be overcoming odds, something that doesn't look as if it's possible that you will win, it kind of helps you smile and say, I'm still here. I've had some days where I just had to smile and say, I'm still here. Has anybody else in the room had a few days this week that says, I'm still here? And yet, we're undefeated. We're undefeated down to the man. Everyone who is in here is still in the presence of God. We still have the opportunity for repentance. We still have the opportunity for strengthening. The fact that we are still here means that we are not beaten yet. Let's put Exodus 14, 8 on the screen. This just is a topic that we've covered often, but it's a good reminder. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. I'm going to tell you that what happened in Genesis 3, the ground was cursed for Adam's sake. That God hardened the heart of Pharaoh so that he would pursue the Israelites who were marching out boldly. Say, church, just like our older brother that we were grafted into, when you march out boldly, God will ordain that there are enemies there. What other option do we have? Do we want to hide inside of our churches, sit upon our salvation, and remind ourselves of our points of doctrine and the prayer of salvation you made? Or do we want to march out boldly I want to march out boldly tonight. I want to march out boldly the day after that. And it really doesn't matter whether Pharaoh or all the hounds of hell are pursuing you. When we march out boldly, we find our enemies drowned in the sea. The Song of Moses is a reminder that when you march out boldly, that you're the militant church, that you're not defeated. Not even when it looks as if Pharaoh himself is closing in on you at the Red Sea. Exodus 14 has been a continual passage that has come up in the previous months, it's almost like God was preparing us for the days that we've just experienced. By the grace of God, we went to Turkey just a little while ago and we're going back. We went to Peru not too long ago and we're going back. We've lost children, we've had destruction, and we're having new life being birthed in our body. The enemy is looking to make it seem as if we are hemmed in on every side. But what we're going to do tonight is march out boldly because we will not be defeated. I love the law. It sets the precedent for everything else that we do with our life. When we remind ourselves I'm supposed to be in a fight, that God said when I go to war, that he will cause Pharaoh to pursue me, it begins to create a kind of immovable confidence in you that is the church that has survived so much. Let's go to the prophets. Let's put Jeremiah fifteen twenty on the screen. You know Hebrews 11, where it speaks about the great hall of fame for the faithful? And it says, and we do not have time to talk about the prophets, speaking about those he did not mention. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the prophets lived easy lives or that they were not men of courage. We just only had so much room in the epistle to the Hebrews. I will make you a wall to the people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you. For I am with you to rescue and save you, declares the Lord. You've got to love a prophet who's been spoken about it in advance. They're not going to like you. They're not going to be happy with you. They are going to fight against you. From the very beginning, men of God have known that in the heart of the law, God said, when you go to war, that I will be in a fight. But they learned to depend upon one who could strengthen them. Amen. Jeremiah was made into a bronze wall in a fortified city. Now, when you think of two armies fighting, think of them facing each other. When you think of a fortified city under siege, what do they do? They surround it. Yeah. What do you do with a city that is fortified is you surround it, you allow no access, they have... Nothing to reach for except the king of kings. The only open port they have is to the heavens. God spoke to Jeremiah and said, I will make you a fortified city that is under siege on all sides. He says, they will not overcome you. Tell you, church, that like the prophets, you are to be a fortified city. You're supposed to know what God has spoken to you, what he has placed you here for. And then cry out for the Savior who will strengthen you, who will rescue you, who will make you like a bronze wall. God has made men in this church like bronze walls. We're not the reed that sways in the wind. We're the oak tree that will either break or stand firm. Tell you, I want to be an oak of righteousness. Some might survive by swaying in the wind, but that is not us. That's not in our DNA. That is not who we are tonight. Start with me to Genesis 49. We're going to go through some scriptures that will be familiar to some. Those who are listening on audio will likely not know what we're talking about, but that's okay. We're speaking with our family. We're going to pick up in the fourth verse. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. The heart of the prophet Isaiah is that he feels pressed, crushed, persecuted on all sides. And yet, when he reflects upon the king, he says, I am not defeated. I am undefeated, because what is due me is in God's hand. And no man can take what is due me if it's in the Lord's hand. Tell you, our treasures ought to be in God's hand. When we're looking for relief in this life, that can be taken away. But what you are looking for is a country that is not your own. Yeah. If you were looking for an opportunity to turn back, God will give it to you. But that is not what we are made of. Okay. We're men who go take captives from the fierce. Amen. Amen. Plunder from the warriors. The prophet Isaiah is reminding himself of what God has destined him for. I want to remind us tonight of what is in the Lord's hand for us when we stand firm. We let nothing move us and we'll become the undefeated church. To be undefeated, to be a champion, implies that you have opposition. This is not a Miss America contest. Uh This is a prize fight contest. The church is to be one who knows what opposition tastes like. You've not done something wrong because you've experienced opposition. You might actually be doing something right when things are difficult. Probably ought to get worried when everything's peaceful all of the time and nothing's wrong. Business is good, life is great. But when things are difficult and you're finding what is in the Lord's hand for your life, that is when we know we're in the center of God's will. That's when He can make you into a fortified city. That's when He can make you like a bronze wall. Let's go to Isaiah 50. The fourth verse says, The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. tell you, the Sovereign Lord will give you an instructed tongue for your time of need. Husbands, He will give you words to sustain the weary. He'll do it time and time again. The King of Kings has always been speaking in that darkest hour. It is when you're wrestling in the night that God changes your name. It is when you're surrounded on all sides that the sea splits. We referenced Elijah just the other night, or other day, and how after seeing enemies on all sides defeated, he prayed a prayer that God did not answer. I tell you, you might have to get to the place where you're broken before you can eat of manna from heaven, because God's response to that was not to grant his request, but to give him something of the heavens. He ate and drank of something that was from the hand of God, like Isaiah, in his soul was strengthened. It was refreshed. The weary were sustained that day. If you find yourself weary and overwhelmed, you might look to see what is in the hand of God for you because I promise nothing can sustain the weary quite like that. Amen. We can think that turning to the side, that finding entertainment, and that doing something other than pressing in a little deeper will sustain you. Did you just need a distraction? The truth is, we really need to get on the face, our face before the Lord and watch Him come through. Go we'll spread ourselves out like Hezekiah did before the Lord and watch Sinnesiah fall. Amen. we we'll stay in Isaiah 50. It says, because, seventh verse, "...because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint. I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near." Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. When you are intimidated, when you are scared of the people, when it seems as if Pharaoh is going to cut you apart, we have to remind ourselves that God will make you like a bronze wall, and when you point your face towards him, you become like Flint. Flint. Flint is an immovable object. Just like that oak tree, it breaks. It doesn't bend. Flint, something that we're a little less familiar with, but it's used for various things in the Word, but it is a standard that cannot be corrupted. It either shatters or it succeeds in its mission. i tell you that our perspective on the Lord's will must be like that, that either we die trying or we succeed. And if we die and we die in the Lord's presence and His will, flying straight as an arrow.
1: Amen.
0: Set your face like flint this evening. When you are surrounded by all sides, when there is no hope of any kind, Isaiah 51 gives us the answer. In Isaiah 51, we have the prophet crying out. We're describing dark circumstances of all kinds. Think about some of your circumstances lately. I'm not one to encourage whining, I'm just think about what has happened over the last several months. Isaiah 51 says what happens when we hold to the Lord to that last moment when it seems as if all is desperate. Ninth verse. Awake, awake, clothe yourself with strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster in the sea? Tell you, if you want to see the arm of God displayed in your life, we have got to get to a place where there is no other option. We can depend upon nothing else. But when the man of God is depending upon him and he has nothing else, the very arm of God is displayed. I want to see the arm of God displayed in my life. I believe it's... Put Ephesians 1.19 on the screen. See if that's right. Yeah. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength. See, Christ let himself get to the place where he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And if that's not oppressing on all sides, I don't know what is. And it went so far that it put him in the grave. But you know what? That's where the arm of God that was clothed in strength resurrected him, pulled him out of the very grave. Hey, church, we're getting primed to see the arm of God displayed in our lives to pull us from the very grave because there is nothing quite like a victory that comes from God's arm and God's arm alone that is clothed in strength for the nations to see. If we are not pressed... Crushed on every side. We've become the undisputed champion. We are the disputed champion. And we've turned out victorious each time. Amen. We've been contested. And yet, by God's mighty strength that was exerted and raised Christ from the dead, we gain the victory tonight. Amen. We've become the undefeated church. When we learn to depend upon that and we don't steer away from difficulty, we don't look for an escape route, but we look to dig in our heels. It says, no, I know He's planted me right here. I'm standing in His will. I'm standing on it for my children. Whether or not they lose their lives, I will do what God said. I'm standing on it for my whole household. When we become immovable, it gives God a chance to fortify you like a city that cannot be sieged. Amen. Say, I Am I am unseigible. unconquerable, unconquerable. Undefeated. undefeated. Tonight, our church is victorious. We are not defeated. There's life coming out of us, there's victory on all sides. Yeah, we fought, but I'm still here. Yeah, we've had some moments, but we are all still here. We're not going anywhere, devil. We are going to see the kingdom of God advanced here, we're going to see it in Peru. We're gonna see it all over Turkey, and we're gonna see it in the Far East. Britain and Teresa are laboring right now. And yes. tell you, God will make them like a fortified city. Amen. The times are getting darker. I tell you, that is what we were made for. It's how it's always been. From the very beginning. Against all hope, Abraham believed. Against the rejection of the world, the apostles preached their gospel under the persecution of the Roman Empire. They prospered. That is in our DNA and is what we're about to put on display for the whole world to see. The arm of God is going to come to our aid. The arm of God will come to our aid and it only comes when we are in that desperate moment. So let's not shy away from it. Let's look for it. Let's keep going. I love the example that the prophet set up. But I also love the writings because it teaches us how to walk things out. Would you put Nehemiah 6 on the screen. Let's pick up in the 8th verse. I love Nehemiah. Men on all sides are shouting at him, saying that you cannot do it, you feeble Jews. And if a fox crawls on your wall, it will crumble. Remember what God said to Jeremiah. That wall that I'm making, that they are shouting against, they will not overcome it. The world will always tell you that you're going to fail. And you'll even sometimes use false prophets. But what Nehemiah said is nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making up out of your head. I tell you, sometimes you should not believe the enemy's lies. You should not believe every thought that comes into your head, that you're going to fail. Fear of failure is something that we've been speaking about an awful lot. The enemy will tell you again and again and again that what you're doing, you're laboring for no purpose, that there is nothing for you in the hand of God, that a fox will crawl on it and it will fail. But Nehemiah reminded himself of what God's Word said. And that these men were making things up out of their own head and it had nothing to do with the truth of Christ. See, some things may feel or be true in this world, but it is not at all the same thing as the truth of the gospel. Amen. It is true that the church has looked as if it is going to be defeated, that it has always been overwhelmed, that it did not have what it takes. But the truth is that God's plan for the church has always succeeded. And they were never defeated. Next verse. They were all trying to frighten us. They were all trying to inspire fear, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Why is it that God is trying to, uh, the enemy is trying to intimidate you? He's trying to keep you from completing God's work. It's not just for you is that each man has a stone in this wall. See, as each man is a fortified city in a bronze wall, what are we as a church? We are the city of the living God. Each man has a brick that he needs to put in place. Each man needs to pick up a sword and a shovel and get to work while defending his household, while defending the church body that he's placed in. We've spoken before about Zephaniah 3.9, serving shoulder to shoulder. Each man has a part to play in this. Do not let the enemy plant seeds of fear in you. Do not let him overwhelm you. Remind yourself that that is a lie, that it is not true in comparison to the true plan of God. They will not be moved. Then what's Nehemiah's prayer? I love this. It's four words. Now strengthen my hands. Amen. Sometimes we need to spend a little less time complaining in our prayer. And just ask God to strengthen our hands. He already knows the circumstances. He already knows what's going on. And he just says, strengthen my hands, Lord. Our hands are to be strengthened for the fight. To go back to work. Because we will not be defeated in this. We will not be overwhelmed. Nehemiah shows us how to walk out. That fight that Deuteronomy 20 told us we would be in. Tells us how to walk out. Calling out for God to strengthen you. This is what it looks like to be strengthened like a fortified city, is to realize what your circumstances look like. Reject that which is fear and only hold on to that which is the truth of what God has shown you and then ask Him to strengthen your hands. Amen. See, Nehemiah knew the rest of the word. And when faced with difficulty, he dug in his feet and asked God to strengthen him. God will strengthen everyone in this church. If you cry out to Him, He will come in rushing to meet you. Yes, circumstances have been difficult, but that's when we get to see an arm that is not arm anymore. One that is clothed in strength. Not a strong arm, not a stro- an arm that is just mighty. One that is wrapped in strength that is from the Almighty. That's the kind of arm that our God has. That's the kind of arm that can reach into your life and resurrect you from the grave. Amen. That's the kind of God that can reach into your circumstances and bring about righteousness. He will reach into our lives when we call out to Him and strengthen us. He will cause us to be victorious and will not let us be defeated. Turn with me to Chronicles 20, Second uh, Chronicles 20. Let's pick up in verse 13. All the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood before the Lord. Tell you, the Stephens, we stand as one family, wives, children, and little ones. We stand and do what is right, down to the youngest, all the way up to the oldest. When we're standing before the Lord, it is every one of us. Ministry is a family affair, and there's no way around that. But that is not just for men who are pastors. The ministry that God has given you, it's for you, your wives, your children, and little ones, and you're supposed to be bringing everyone before the Lord.
1: Amen.
0: The Spirit of the Lord was upon Jaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jail, the son of Matani, a Levite and a descendant of Asaph, as the as he stood in the assembly he said listen King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem this is what the Lord says to you do not be afraid or discouraged where have we heard this before we're reading about the book of Joshua do not be afraid or discouraged Deuteronomy 20 says something very similar it's almost as if the prophet of God telling us how to walk it out was calling back to what was already written Because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass as is. You will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeru. Next verse. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves that the battle that we're in, yes, it affects everyone, wives, children, down to the littlest ones, that yes, the army is overwhelming. But when the arm of God is at your side and you remember that, all that's required is you take up your positions and stand firm. Amen. Amen. Sometimes we get worried about, what did I do to cause this? What must be done here? What must be done there? The only answer to life's problems, whether it be the Lord's discipline or the affliction or the just adversity of the enemy, is take up your positions. Stand firm in it. Either we stand in the shalom of God or we don't, and there's only one place to stand. Amen. When the world is swirling around you and you're not quite sure what is right, you're not quite sure what the right way to proceed is, when maybe you've made some mistakes along the way, you've gotten a little bit beat up, but you stand firm in the position that God called you to, that's where the arm of God can work on your behalf. See, I've been hit in the head a few times where I didn't quite know where I was at. I didn't know up from down. Sometimes when you've been in a fight, you don't really know what you need to do in this next moment. But I can tell you one place that you know you need to be is standing in the position that God has called you to and let Him direct you from there. See, this is kind of uh, when you've been hit, they teach you tactics to recover, to cover yourself when you're not quite sure what's going on around you, when the ear hole of your helmet of salvation is where your eyes are supposed to be, when you've been knocked around and you're dizzy. i tell you, remember this. When you don't quite know what to do, you stand in faith and do what you think is right, you trust Him, you read His Word, and He will show you what to do. When we stand and act in faith, that gives God an opportunity to work in our lives, even if we don't get every moment of it right. We take up our positions and we will see His deliverance. Amen. I want to tell you that Psalm 135, 8 talks about how in the midst of Egypt we were delivered. How in the midst of adversity. God's people have been saved over and over again. Many people love the Psalms for this reason. We have lions tearing at men, bulls of Bashan, and we, describes the sea fleeing. The Psalms are filled with men who were drowning and yet had been rescued by their mighty God. We love the Psalms because of this, and yet somehow in our own lives we think that something's really wrong we'll feel beat up on all sides, as if this is not what we're supposed to be doing with our lives. I want to tell you that you should be looking for the opportunity to dig in when there's adversity everywhere, and watch the sea split. See, I want to see the stellar realm stand still. You might have to pick a fight with five kings. If you want to see the sea split, you might have to pick a fight with Pharaoh. If you want to be strengthened like Elijah, you might have to pick a fight with 700 prophets of Baal. Who in this room wants to see the miraculous? I, do. I want to see the miraculous. Yes. You got to pick a fight. <laughs> when you want to see the things that are extraordinary, that are extraordinary miracles that stand out from the rest of the world, it only happens when you have found yourself in the same position as Deuteronomy 20. When I went to war and the armies were greater than me. Then the hand of God is displayed. We're going to move into the New Testament. The life of Jesus displays this better than anything else because he is our example. Amen. We think of the Garden of Gethsemane. Is this not a man who is being pressed on all sides, and yet something of the power of God was displayed in that moment? Even to disciples who wanted to follow him, he said, Foxes have holes. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He described to them a life that was going to have pressure on all sides. He even says, let the dead bury the dead. The enemy will use things in our lives that feel as if they're personal. If you understand what I mean, it's a little bit more obvious when, you know, there's a demon standing in front of you. You know what to do with that. We're spirit-filled Christians. Not Baptist anymore. The thing that gets most of us is those things that are calling back at us while we're supposed to be following Christ. That family that wishes for you to still have an obligation to this world. That death that is still calling out to you. That desire for security, to have your place set up, to have your home, what you need. These things call out to us. You you might spend some time talking with the pastors about a man named Paul Teal who cried out after one of David's wives that rightfully belonged to him. See, the world will always cry out to you from behind, and it did for many who wanted to follow Christ. But when they put themselves at the mercy of the Almighty God, they witnessed the crucifixion and the resurrection. They were the ones who were the closest to the power of God in that moment. I want to be close to the power of God. Amen. What do you have to do to get there? What has to die inside of you to grow close to the power of God? See, it is putting yourself at His disposal at every turn, holding back nothing for yourself, throwing aside your home, throwing aside funerals, throwing aside the trappings of life that say, Stay home in Louisiana. It's comfortable here. All your family's here. When God is calling you so much deeper than the United States, might even be calling you to a canyon somewhere that has never heard the name of, it, the name of Jesus. What is destined on the other side of your life, where God will display His mighty power? There are things that we must throw off. Let's read Mark 8: 34 through 38. Then he called the crowd and along with his disciples and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I heard Daniel preaching on this this topic one time. It was an excellent sermon. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. For what good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit a soul? Sometimes you have to smile and say, I'm still here. And sometimes when you experience loss for the sake of the kingdom, you just have to smile and say, so what? Say it with me, church. So what? So what? So what? So what? Sometimes we have to look at the attack of the enemy and remind ourselves "I have something so much better in the hand of God Amen. than in comparison. This is so What? I'm gonna read to you Luke 9, the 62nd verse. Jesus replied, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. I'm gonna tell you that a secret to the kingdom and making it long term is just keep pushing, it's just keep plowing, just keep going. No one who turns back is fit for service. He didn't say, anyone who continues to try who's striving after righteousness, and they're not made perfect yet. He didn't say anyone who has had a failing at some point in their life. They're not fit for service. He said, those who turn back. Without naming names, you can think of men who have turned back in our church's history. The one thing that you have to do when things look difficult is just keep pushing. Put your hands on the plow that God has given you and run after it with your face set like flint. Let the arm of God be like a bronze wall on top of you. Push and push and push, and you will see a harvest of righteousness. What it means to reap 30, 60, and 100-fold is that you labor with all that you have, and God multiplies it. I tell you, the plowman will never be perfect, but the plowman who is striving towards the goal has no time for petty sin. See, David got into trouble when the kings were off at war, and he was playing around on his roof. What we need to do is take a look at that plow that God has given you that is in front of you and grab it. Hold on to it and begin to push. When you have a little kid who's learning to ride a bicycle, what do you do when they keep falling over? You put a hand on theirs. You show them how to ride it. All of us, no matter how long we've been here, what age you are, we're still a little bit like a child in the presence of God. And compared to his wisdom, we are children. When you decide that I'm going to put my hand on this plow, come hell or high water, very literally, and keep plowing, it's as if the hands of God come upon you. Who push that plow with you? That a supernatural force begins to drive you. And you see something that is clothed with strength that is not your own arm anymore. Our pastors have set a fine example. They've been doing this for about 20 years, and they look back, and there's fruit behind them. Sometimes, men, we want to give up because we don't think that we have fruit behind us. But the reason for that is that we just have not kept plowing long enough. We think about Abraham. We think about Moses. Men, how long they waited before they saw that harvest of righteousness. Do not be discouraged, church. You have not been defeated because the ground got a little bit harder for you. When you plow and you plow and you plow and you plow and you let the arm of God rest upon you, we will see a harvest of righteousness raised up from this room. Amen. Let's turn to the book of Revelation. Matthew 24 reminds us that in the days to come, he who stands firm to the end will be saved. These are things that you're familiar with. Stand firm, and we will see deliverance. We will see victory. Let's go to Revelation 2. Let's pick up in the 12th verse. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. It's interesting that these churches are in Turkey. And he says, I know where where you live, where Satan has set up his throne. I'm not preaching about Turkey, though, where God placed them. He said that Satan's very throne was set up. Come on, when you think about your adversity, when you think about the things that feel difficult in your life, God said to this church, I know where you live. Out of all of the world, this is where Satan has chosen to set up his throne. Come on, our circumstances cannot be that difficult. We cannot have endured too much. In here, it's speaking about the death of a faithful witness. We've had losses, but last I checked, none of us have gotten the glorious opportunity of being martyred yet. We will. From our number, we will. Wherever you're standing, the arm of God is sufficient, even if you're standing next to the throne of Satan himself. I tell you, there are no powers in hell that can overwhelm you. When we learn to crawl back to our king and say, I need your arm, make me like a fortified city. Set my face like flint. Lord, help me to focus on what you have called me to. Not even the throne of Satan itself in your backyard will overcome you. And I tell you, we will put this to the test. Amen. We are going to. This is not speech alone. We will put this to the test and we will prove faithful and we will prove undefeated. Say with me I will, prove I will prove faithful. I will prove faithful. I will prove faithful. At the end of the day, if we can prove to be faithful, Even if we got a little beat up, we will see victory over Satan's throne. God will be speaking to us, saying that we have remained true to his name and will be displaying that he is proud of us. I so desperately want that. And it's exciting. That church happens to be in Turkey. You're in Revelation, right? Let's go to one more passage. I lied. Two more passages. Revelation 2, let's pick up in the 24th verse. Let's see this next church. See. This is Thyatira. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who did do not hold to the teaching, her teachings and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. This is a part of that principle that sometimes we just have to hold on to the plow. Sometimes we have to let God fortify us in the position that He's placed us in. Each of these churches were given a special addressment, but each of it had to do with dealing with the difficulty that was on all sides, false doctrine that was in the church, and yet how they could prove faithful and overcome. I want to overcome. Do you want to overcome? Yes. Let's read Revelation 6-9. This is one of my favorites. (laughs) Revelation 6, 9. "When When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. Come on, tell me you have been crushed. Who in the room has felt like you've been crushed a little bit? Go back a verse for me. The souls of those who had been slain because the word of God and the testimony they had been maintained. We think of God's deliverance, and it's true. He delivers us in this life, and he's done it many times. These men were crushed to the place where they were ashes beneath an altar. I don't care how bad you think your day was. If you were not a pile of ashes in front of that altar, it wasn't that bad. They are dust. But you know what has not left that pile of dust? The presence of God. And you know what? That dust is still calling out for the justice of God on earth, even in the worst, most terrible days that the church that has been undefeated since the beginning will ever experience. In the last days, we will be crushed to the place where we are beneath, not above, not around. We've been Applying Romans 12 so long that we're a living sacrifice that is dust under the altar of God. I tell you, that's how I want to die. I don't know how you want to die. If you want some special funeral, if you want to be paraded like a king, I'd be happy if I was just under the altar of God. Amen. tell you, you can be crushed and crushed and crushed. You can be burned alive. You can be persecuted. But you have not yet been abandoned when you still stand in the presence of God. And you know what? A small... Little voice will be crying out, still yet, for the justice of God. And you know what? They will see it one day. The plan is already set. Victory is already ours. He has shouted it from the beginning, and God will prove faithful. He will surely do what he said he would. I want to die under that altar. Some of us actually will, but all of us will live a life that looks like that when we cling to his presence, and it will be in us even if we are ashes. Let's go to Corinthians, Second Corinthians, First Chapter, Verses Eight and Nine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Ah, there you go. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We're under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Amen. This is the heart's cry of Revelation 6:9, that they depended upon God even to the place where they died, and the mighty arm of God will resurrect them from the dust. I tell you, men of God have always been put in a place that actually was beyond their ability to bear. When something cries out to you and says it's too much, it is. It might be. It actually may push it to the place where you cannot breathe anymore. But in that moment is when you find the Holy Spirit comforting you, strengthening you, causing you to lift your hands and become strong again. I can't tell you how much this is the gospel story. It's that ordinary men might be overloaded to the place where you can no longer bear what is going on. You're crying your eyes out night after night. And yet... Something of the Spirit of God can enter you that resurrects you there in that moment. The things that I wanted to talk about tonight are not just theology, not just something that we thought would be fun to preach on. It's been living and active in our lives. When you find that moment where, okay, Lord, I don't have anywhere else I want to go or anywhere else I could go if I wanted to. I'm lifting my hands to you now. You who resurrected the dead, who split the sea, I need your mighty arm at work in my life now. I need it resurrected. I need your arm at work like in days long ago, like Isaiah 51 said. I need you in my life here and now. There's something very different about that being, saying that in the moment than just preaching about it. But you know what I mean. When you're at that moment of desperation... It is good that you would be brought there. But this happened that we might not rely upon ourselves, but on God. We're going to close in 2 Corinthians 4. Let's pick up in the 7th verse. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God, not from us. And we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive and are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may be revealed in our mortal bodies. So then death isn't at work in us, but life is at work in you. The heart of the gospel is that you would be a light that shines brighter and brighter and brighter and cannot be put out. That darkness would envelop you and men might see you in a distance. We're jars of clay. We may be beaten, but we're not crushed. We may be persecuted to the point of death, but like those saints in uh, Revelation 6-9, not without the presence of God, not without Him strengthening our hands. Question I want to ask you tonight, just as family. When you read about that, is there something in you that needs to die? Is there something in you that is still calling out to you and you haven't put yourself at the mercy of the king where your life is all out for him above all else? You're no longer trying to protect your job. No longer trying to protect your family. No longer trying to protect your life, but you're truly letting death work at you when we know that we are right with him, that we allow death into our life so that life might be produced in others, the light of Christ will shine here in an amazing way.
1: Well, I was awfully encouraged by that word. This walk is bound to be filled with setbacks and discouragements anybody who ever tried to accomplish something for the lord um, gets to experience their lack in his sufficiency amen amen Amen. let's walk through a scripture string together and we will close with it and i think we're going to have everybody in the room pray for each other tonight Amen. amen amen Uh, and i don 't mind confessing that my to me my son preached me out of a hole tonight. I drug myself in here skydiving off the edge of a dime that 's not a usual occurrence, but we are still here amen let 's do this one let 's do Micah three eight. But as for me, say as for me. as for me, but as for me, I am filled with power. Who in here is filled with power? I am. You don't have to feel like you are filled with power. The scripture declares that you are filled with power. Amen. All of hell will wage psychological warfare against you to keep you from feeling like you are filled with power. But as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might. The might of the Almighty God is in the man who is filled with his Spirit. So you can endure things you believe that you cannot endure. You can go places you believe you cannot go. You can take on an enemy that is superior to you in every way but one. You are filled with something that he does not have. Are you filled with the Spirit of God tonight? You might need, like David, to speak to your very soul and say, why so downcast within me, my soul? Command yourself upward because the Spirit of God lives in you. There is no room and no time for us to sit and lick our wounds. This only encourages our enemy. So I say, but as for me, I am filled. Are you filled? Look at Micah 6.8. He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly. You know, I love when the word breaks down things like this. What is your next right action? How do you know if it's the next right action? Do you love mercy? Is it birthed out of humility? What does the Lord require of you? To act justly. Why has He filled you with the Spirit of God? What's the next right thing that you can do? What is the next righteous act that He has told you? And is it based on mercy for someone? Is it based on humility before your God? This is so simple. What do I do next? How do I get out of this? How do I stand up in what God has given me? You find the next right thing for you to do. And it better be coded in mercy. The same mercy that you yourself are receiving. And then you humbly accept what God has said and you do that next thing. Amen? If you dare to try that, how many of you have ever prophesied in this room? Raise your hand if you've prophesied. Now leave your hand up if you've gotten it wrong. More hands went up for the next one than the first one. Anybody who has ever tried to do something for God falls down, it happens. Because you're attacked, you've become dangerous to the enemy. And when you become dangerous to the enemy, he's trying to take you out. Man, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, then the Spirit of this world is trying to kill you. Let's, let's come to grips with that. We, we didn't get together to play squash. We got, to, <laughs> we got together in a life and death contest. He wants to kill your children. He wants to kill you. He wants to squish everything, (laughs) everything about you. But we say, but as for me, I am filled with power. What do I do? Act justly. Love. Love. Say love. love. Love mercy. And walk humbly with your God. When you do fall down, Micah 7, 8. Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Falling down, making a mistake, is not the end of a man of God. We cannot fear making mistakes. We cannot live paralyzed, worried about a mistake because a mistake is not our end. The man who continues to trust Christ has hope renewed every day. Say every day. Every day. day. Nehemiah, Nehemiah in the 6th chapter and the ninth verse had Sanballat and Tobiah mocking him. At this point in his life, the Persian kingdom is no longer in support of him. That's got to get straightened out. In fact, principles like you do not tax the governor or the governor cannot place a tax upon the clergy, they come from this chapter because he stood his ground. But everything is against him. There are enemies within, there are enemies without. All are against him. And Judah has rightly pointed out incredibly powerful four words. I'd like to close our service that we pray this way. Could you stand to your feet?